Hello, Roy here. I just wanted to let you know that you can listen to The Roy Green Show ad-free on Amazon Music, included with Prime. People may not always see eye to eye with him, but they will always listen to his opinion. This is The Roy Green Show. You cannot have a conversation about the economy of this country without talking about natural resources. And when you talk about natural resources, you talk about pipelines. Inevitably and invariably, pipelines come into, uh, into play, into discussion. And uh, for some people, pipelines are absolutely the bane of their existence. For others, it's just the most sensible and the safe way to transport natural resources to international markets. And in the case of oil or bitumen, it's, uh, it's the sensible way to do things. I know that's going to irritate some people, but that's just the way it is. I didn't live too far from Lac Megantic in Quebec when that horrible explosion took place. And I went to Lac Megantic sometime afterwards. I talked to some people there. And they remember that night extremely well, clearly. It's not a conversation you really want to have, and I did it for a show we were doing at the time. So pipelines make sense. And there's the economic reality for Canada. We have natural resources. What other country would take, what other country would look at its natural resources as something of a, uh, of a problem? I can't think of any. But we do here, and then there's the issue of the American environmental groups that come to Canada and uh, will hold court here and hold sway here, and for what possible reason? Are they interested in the environment, or are they just helping the American economy at the cost of ours? More than 30 First Nations leaders in Alberta and British Columbia are backing the $16 billion proposed Eagle Spirit pipeline to run from Alberta to northern British Columbia, and that's twice the size of the Northern Gateway Project. Eagle Spirit would transport as much as a million barrels a day. The First Nations supporting Eagle Spirit have started a GoFundMe appeal for a million dollars to fight the federal government in their attempt to overturn Justin Trudeau's West Coast tanker ban, that's something, eh? You have to go to GoFundMe. There's a message there to tackle your federal government. Calvin Helene is the chairman of the Eagle Spirit Pipeline Company. He's a lawyer. He's the son of a British Columbia hereditary chief. He also argues that American environmentalists are responsible for the tanker ban. And uh, Calvin, uh, great to speak with you again. It's been a while. You also charged that Ottawa is standing in the way of indigenous peoples creating their own financial independence and losing up to 50 or $60 million a day without the pipeline. Yes, good afternoon. I, I've, um, I, I represent a, a group of uh, First Nations who came together uh, in the Eagle Spirit Project. Um, 
and it was really a response to the Northern Gateway uh, pipeline that was proposed in Northern BC. The First Nations uh, leaders were concerned about the environmental impact of that project, uh, first of all, and uh, secondly, they were offered, I think, on on average, seventy thousand dollars per year per community for a multi-billion-dollar project to um, endorse it and be part of it. And um, but at the end of the day, the um, the proponents were not prepared to um, listen to what their environmental concerns were. So. Out of that came Eagle Spirit Energy, and um, what we learned was that uh, the First Nations people aren't opposed to natural resource development. Most of the most of the uh, areas that are are being proposed for this pipeline are in northern BC and northern northern British Columbia, where there's 90 percent uh, or more unemployment, and uh, the Unlike the uh, environmental groups who have a, a one-dimensional financial model, that is, the more they stop, the more money they raise, um, the First Nations leaders have to look at a more holistic basis for making their decisions. They have to consider, and they do consider, first of all, the environment. Uh, but once their concerns about the environment are, are um, met, they then look at... Um, issues like social welfare, uh, employment, business opportunities. Um, these are the communities that you hear about in the news that have um, you know, high suicide rates, um, all of the dysfunction and, and problems we, we commonly hear about, and the leaders want to do something about it. So when you get uh, a group of, uh, of uh, American-led uh, or, or American-financed environmental groups flying celebrities into their traditional territory, um, dictating to them what, the, what they're going to have to do and dictating to the Canadian government what it needs to do when um, they have all of these really enormous problems to deal with, it doesn't go down very well. Um, the, you know, they, they use, uh, they pick and, and pay and use um, select, First Nations people from communities as puppets and props um, for saying that the communities are against all development, and um, they're they're happy to they're they're completely happy to um, create a, a park in our backyard. Well, America uses Canada as a storage for natural resources that it'll tap at its price when it wants to. And it's, an, it's a ridiculous situation. And uh, the Trudeau government has said that um, the area that uh, the ban is applying to is from the north end of Vancouver Island to the Alaskan border. The community I'm from, Lamps, controls the land or has Aboriginal title over the land from the Alaskan border to about 150 uh, kilometers south. It includes Prince Rupert and all of that industrial area. And uh, the leaders of the community were never even uh, talked to. They never even were approached. In fact, uh, I was just advised that the previous council sent a letter um, out saying that um, they, they um, opposed the Great Bear Rainforest. And, um, and yet uh, you go to uh, 
the environmentalist Sabora Berman's uh, autobiography, and she boasts about how she dreamed up the name the Great Bear Rainforest while sitting in a cheap Italian restaurant in San Francisco. Uh, as you said in your introduction, what other country would tolerate this? You know, um, the margin that, uh, that uh, American refineries are making on Canadian oil is, over the past four years, I've just read, is like $40 per barrel. $40 per barrel, at least $50 uh, million per day, were given away. Um, who would do that? It, it's, a, it's an absolutely insane situation. And when you're talking to, uh, and when you're parachuting celebrities into, um, environmental celebrities into First Nations communities, uh, where they've been the, the first stewards of the land for, in, in, in the case of my own people, 13,000 years, they've been looking after the environment, who are talking down their nose, they're, and, and they're telling you what you've got to do to look after the environment, uh, of course, because it, it serves their interest. Uh, it just does not go down well, and, and this GoFundMe page is going to be used um, to uh, launch a legal campaign to quash this uh, oil moratorium act and and pull uh, First Nations lands out of the Great Bear Rainforest. All right, Calvin, let me let me get you to hold on. I I want to ask you some questions about the pipeline, also about the uh, level of agreement that either exists or can be uh, created among First Nations. And there's also the issue, is there not, of the United States, American territory, and Canadian territory once you get up into the uh, toward Alaska. So there, there's a lot to be a lot to be talked about here. And uh, we also know that there's something of an uncivil war that's happening between British Columbia and Alberta. And uh, the Financial Post had a had a an article a couple of days ago. Notley takes off gloves in pipeline civil war with BC. The government of Alberta will not. We cannot let this unconstitutional attack on jobs and working people stand. That's from Rachel Notley. We're back with uh, Calvin Helene, the chairman of the Eagle Spirit Pipeline effort, and uh, we we'll have some more questions for him after this. He always got straight A's, but his report card said he talked too much. This is the Roy Green Show. I suspect you've heard the name uh, Carrie Winter a bit over the last several days. He's the cousin of murdered pharma college, pharmaceutical billionaire Barry Sherman, and uh, Mr. Sherman and his wife, of course, were murdered. And uh, Carrie Winter has reportedly talked about a fantasy to kill his cousin and failed a lie detector test after saying Barry Sherman had asked Mr. Winter to kill his wife in the 90s. We're going to be talking with Carrie Winter before the end of the hour and ask him some questions about the stories that are circulating about him and some of the things that he has said to some media. So Carrie Winter coming up. Calvin Helene is the chair of the Spirit Eagle Pipeline Project. Calvin, let me ask you some questions and get, maybe get some um, bullet point answers from you. Then we can expand a little bit. Uh, so what's in the way now for the pipeline 
most fundamentally is the tanker ban, as I understand it. But but you also have to deal with governments and environmental assessments and studies. Uh, how much of that has been taken care of? If the tanker ban goes, are you a go? Calvin? Hello? Calvin, are you there? Okay, do you want to call him back, please? Oh, sorry. Okay. Can you hear me? Yeah, I can hear you fine now. Hi, uh, my phone accidentally went on to mute here. <laughs> sorry okay. Um, the answer to that is an absolute yes, um, uh, but uh, there has been no appetite to invest any money until um, this major uh, matter is uh, hurdle is cleared, and so um, we will do that when investment will come when when this is. Um, there's certainty on this matter. Okay, so there are investors ready to put money into it, but it has to be, it has to be pl- uh, plausible. It has to be feasible first. Yes. Well, there's one thing I, I should clarify. When, uh, like the we developed the highest environmental model for the land and ocean in the world. Mm-hmm. It took us five years. It's a very difficult thing that we undertook. That that the uh, the chiefs decided to support, and the way the chiefs engage with our project is through all of the leaders formed a chiefs council, and they engage in, in the project through the chiefs council. They voted at the first meeting unanimously to support a um, an energy corridor. So this, um, this um, right-of-way could include LNG pipelines and... and uh, you know, um, electrical trans- transmission lines. Okay. So h- how much uh, interest is there then? I, I mean, you're going to have to persuade uh, the courts, I guess, will, will come into play at some point. But you probably would prefer to try to persuade a federal government that just enacted a tanker ban to do away with the tanker ban and see the logic of your proposal and uh, and engage the British Columbia government, have the B.C. government come on side, and uh, now you have this... I won't call it a war, but it's almost a war. Um, Financial Post says Notley takes off gloves in pipeline civil war with British Columbia. What do you do with the with the with the provincial government in BC and the and the and the federal government of Canada? Well, I, I can see um, I can see the points of view of of uh, both the provincial governments. Um, I mean, the uh, you, if you take a global view at at um, the most efficient way to get Canadian energy resources out. Um, the market is in Asia, so uh, British Columbia is the is the most efficient route out to um, to Asia. Right. And um, and uh, the eco- the Western economies are are resource dependent, particularly uh, Alberta's. But so BC is discovering more um, oil and and gas in the northeastern part of the province, and. Um, well, we've been uh, we've been uh, stymied uh, about how to get our resources out. Uh, I think we're we're pro- producing three million barrels, around three million barrels of oil per day. The U.S. is exporting eleven million barrels a day, producing and exporting eleven million barrels a day. And um, well, we've been fighting over LNG pipelines. Uh, they, I think, now have three or four pipeline and export facilities in the US and um, and it it just doesn't make sense what we're doing from a from just a pure common sense 
economic well, point Well, you know, when you, when you mention that, pure common sense, $50, 50 million dollars a day is a billion dollars in three weeks. Yeah. It's it's outrageous. That's a uh, billion dollars in three weeks. How, how much does a billion dollars fuel an economy every three weeks? Well, all of our, um, our social programs and everything else that we uh, are being touted as Canadian values come from this. Mm-hmm. And... Um, uh, energy, I, I understand, is about 10% of our GDP. This is something that we, you know, we should be embracing if we can do it in, in an environmentally uh, sustainable and sensible way. What's your timeline? Um, What's your timeline, Calvin? Uh, well, if, if we um, had permission to go today, we'd probably have uh, something built in four years. Ready to go. So your your main opposition is is environmental organizations in this country, but you, you're arguing that uh, their their funding uh, is is coming largely from their United States counterparts, and your your other opposition is the federal government and the provincial government in British Columbia. It's interesting to me that there's no tanker ban on the East Coast. There's no tankers disallowed, or at least uh, tankers are allowed on the St. Lawrence River, and there's some highly sensitive environmental uh, regions there, and the gas bay particularly. Nobody's arguing. There's no protest. There's nobody saying get the tankers off the St. Lawrence, but... No, there, there isn't, and, and, um, and the government, uh, federal government's allowing... Um, bitumen to be shipped out of Vancouver Harbor through an intricate archipelago through the Salishan Sea, which is proposed as a World Heritage Site. And they've just approved February 1st, seven uh, deep exploration wells to be drilled off Nova Scotia. Uh, How does that make any sense to anybody except that this is somebody's pet environmental project and uh, the the chiefs are going to quash that that law when it comes into effect because they have the constitutional rights to do that and um, and if they have to they they've said they will issue their own permits so you could you could, uh, the chiefs could collectively say we don't need to really worry about what Ottawa's position is or what the provincial government's position is we have the constitutional right to make the decision to build the pipeline and go. So, can you hold on? I'd like to talk to you a little longer. Is that okay? Sure. All right. We'll come back with more with Calvin Helene. So, can you can you not have a similar dis- make a similar decision that has to do with the tanker ban on the West Coast? We'll come back. We'll talk some more with Calvin Helene on uh, the Spirit Eagle Pipeline, sixteen billion dollar project. They could be going. They could be ready in four years. That and a lot more. Christine Elliott's coming up a little bit later on. She is another of the candidates for the Ontario Progressive Conservative Party leadership. He doesn't like bullies, and he'll call them out. This this is The Roy Green Show. Mr. Trudeau said it's the job of the federal government to decide what is in the national interest. It is the job of the federal government to decide what is in the national interest, as in bringing the ISIS terrorists to Canada, I guess. 
But I'm just reading a story on Global News. Natural Resources Minister Jim Carr says if British Columbia's government wants to launch further consultation links to the Trans Mountain Pipeline expansion, the province can, but Ottawa won't tolerate unusual, quote, unusual or unnecessary delays, end quote, on the project. Quoting again, people are asking a lot of hypothetical questions, end quote, Carr said in an interview with the West Bloc's Vasi Capellos. Um, quote, the B.C. government entitled is entitled to announce a consultation. We've had ours. It was broad and it was deep and it led to, it led Canada to a conclusion. Calvin Helene is the chairman of the Spirit Eagle Pipeline Project. $16 billion is the projected cost. What does that say to you? What does that story say, say to you, Calvin? Calvin, you there? Got that mute button pushed again? Hi. Sorry, Hi. my phone jumps on to uh, mute here when it's not <laughs> That's all right. in use. Um, I'm not sure what to make of that, except that um, what we've experienced, um, our chiefs have experienced, is uh, there was no consultation as required under the Constitution with the, with the chiefs that are impacted by this, um, this oil tanker moratorium act. And um, under the... Um, the uh, existing Supreme Court of Canada decisions, the, where the, um, the federal government is making a decision that impacts the rights of Indigenous people, they have to consult, accommodate, get their consent unless there's a compelling, uh, a substantial, uh, let me just think of the language, a compelling and substantial public interest. Now, given that... Um, that oil's being shipped everywhere else in Canada, I can't see what a compelling and substantial public interest there is in banning um, oil tankers from northern B.C. coast. And they're, and they're obviously, clearly they prefer to have oil transported by rail, and rail is not safe, as we know. Yeah, rail is, is proven to be, A, very expensive, and, um, and the most, um, most, uh, prone way to uh, spillages and and um, and accidents. I shouldn't say rail is not safe. Rail can at times be very unsafe, as we saw in Lake Megantic. Let me read you an email that I received from Rick. Rick writes in, in case I missed it, is there a refinery component planned for their, like your northern pipeline? It says the tanker ban is for heavy crude, not refined products. Um. That's in discussion, and uh, that's a decision that the chiefs themselves will make. Um, it's their territory, and they make the decisions in relation to their territory. So we'll be consulting them. So you don't need you don't need Ottawa's okay. That's the that's the argument that the that your constitutional rights, your treaty rights, give you the option to do as you wish in the interest and the betterment of Indigenous people, and yeah, and. And so you can go ahead. Now, the federal government, would you expect that the federal governments and provincial gov- governments would take you to court or that environmental organizations would take you to court? Do you expect to be tied up in court for a long period of time? Well, I, we're, I, I'm just uh, looking at the, um, the Chilcotin decision, and, um, and you referred to this as a treaty, right? In B.C., there's no treaties, or largely no treaties. There are some in northeastern B.C. and a, and a, and a couple of other ones. But Aboriginal title uh, exists. Uh, over most of the British Columbia landmass, mm-hmm. and uh, the Chilcotin decision dealt with a particular group that had Aboriginal title, and in those cases, the uh, the rights are much stronger, 
and the court said in that case that um, that um, if uh, the federal government does not consult with First Nations, um, they they whatever they're proposing can be stopped. That the rights of the of of the Aboriginal population over their traditional territory are not just um, passive rights; they're rights to the economic fruits of the land and rights to act, actively manage that those lands. Could you and, not, ar- could, Marvin uh, Calvin? Could you not argue that the tanker ban? Uh, creates or violates your opportunity to develop improvement, economic improvements for First Nations people. That's exactly what would be argued. And, um, and um, in addition to the fact that there was uh, no consultation, you know, the, the, uh, the federal uh, folks came out and, and informed everybody what they're going to do, but they never followed any consultation protocol that they impose on any company. If you look at the Indigenous Affairs Ministry site, there's an extensive, I think it's about a 60-page document about what companies are required to do when they have to um, consult with uh, First Nations. The federal government didn't do any of that stuff. It's it's, uh, entirely... um, this, This whole thing has been driven in the views of the chiefs by American en- environmental uh, NGO groups uh, trying to impose policy on their traditional territories um, to create a park in the backyard to somebody else, and it's just not on. So how does this dispute between Alberta and British Columbia factor into your objective and your plans? Would it be fair to say that Alberta would be more likely to be on side with what your plan is than British Columbia, at least this Sunday, like today? I would think so, because if we're talking about an energy corridor, I believe this is uh, important an item to the, um, to the uh, country, as was the first railway and... and um, it's in, in that order of magnitude. And to be able to, to first of all, get so many diverse uh, First Nations groups to p- support a corridor is immensely difficult. It'll, uh, in my opinion, I don't think it'll ever be done again. It's taken us five years to do it. To create and, that, yeah. And it's, um, it's, uh, it's the most environmentally sensible way to um, get energy resources out of out of uh, out of Canada by by um, shipping it through a uh, corridor, so you don't have pipelines snaking all over the place, and so on and so forth. Well, and, when you when you look at what you're talking about, what you're proposing, if you just compare with what exists in Central Canada, in Quebec, again with the Saint Lawrence River, clearly the Saint Lawrence is being used as a corridor for the tanker traffic. They have a huge uh, tanker, for better lack of a better word, parking area for the. Uh, for the ocean tankers, and then they offload the oil onto smaller tankers, and then they, those smaller tankers make their way up to the refinery in Montreal. So there's a, there's this corridor there. So how can you defend one corridor and shut down another, and, and, and not allow another? So I would imagine there's, that, that would be another legal argument. Yep, that would be another legal argument. The, the idea that was being proposed when this moratorium was originally proposed it was going to be based on science and uh, a bunch of other um, objective factors 
and um, clearly it's not. Um, it's a uh, it's a decision that is uh, being politically driven through the through the um, federal government, um, largely by in the the chief's point of view, American environmental NGOs who have no business dictating. Uh, government policy in their traditional territories. So obviously you're not going to be sitting waiting very long. You're going to take action. Um, when when is that expected? And uh, and is there the likelihood that it would pit indigenous groups against one another? Well, indigenous people each have their own territories. Right. And uh, on the coast, um, the community I'm from, um, we can't, we don't have a say in anybody else's territory. Okay, I understand. It doesn't, uh, it, it's not our territory. We don't have any say at all. We wouldn't go into somebody else's territory and, and tell them that what they're doing is a bad decision and they should stop it. Okay. Um, it's, uh, we have no business. That's the kind of the traditional protocol. Okay, and, Calvin. Uh, I tell I'm I'm out I'm out of time, but I, I I did a little math here, and I'm I'm not very good at math, so I'm probably I'm, I'm excuse me if I'm out by a bit, but if it's fifty million dollars a day and it's a sixteen billion dollar pipeline at fifty million a day, it takes you're going to take you about forty eight weeks to pay for the whole thing. I mean that's the entire fifty million were to go into the pipeline uh, construction and creation, it would take forty eight weeks to raise the sixteen billion dollars. So that puts a little bit of perspective about how much money we're talking about, and the economic realities and the economic punch such a project would in fact bring with it. And economics are front and center. Environment's hugely important, but so is uh, the economy of the country. It's great to speak with you again. When's the next dependency book coming out? Um, I'm about three quarters of the way through it, and actually, what I'm writing about is resource development. The, the book uh, working title at this point is "Dances with Development: Making Good Money from Resource Development." Well, I'm looking forward to reading it. Your books are just absolutely spectacular and internationally renowned. So great talking to you again, Calvin, and I hope to do so again soon. Okay, thank you very much. Have a good rest of your Sunday. Thank you. You too, Calvin Helene, the chair of the. Eagle Spirit Pipeline Project, $16 billion. We're going to hear a lot more about that uh, in the short term. Now, when we come back, we're going to speak with Carrie Winter. He's the cousin of murdered pharmaceutical billionaire Barry Sherman. Mr. Sherman and his wife, Honey, were murdered in December. And uh, Carrie Winter has told Toronto police that, in his view, it's a murder-suicide which has upset the uh, the children of Mr. Sherman. But Carrie uh, uh, Winter has also said that Barry Sherman asked him, Carrie Winter, to kill his wife, Honey, in the 1990s. There was a lie detector test involved, and Mr. Winter did not pass the lie detector test. Now, I don't know what that means because lie detectors can be beaten, but um, and they, can, they can be wrong. But we'll talk to Carrie Winter when we come back on The Green Show on the Corliss Radio Network.